So, there it is. What a great song to uh, introduce where we're going this year, very possibly the whole year, or until I run out of material. Uh, Not really, until Jesus says, that's enough. But uh, just this idea of God being our joy. I know um, last week we talked about, kind of introduced where God wants us to be and where we're going uh, using the uh, the encounter that Jesus had with his disciples in his last moments with them, where Jesus said, um, or, or Philip said, you know, show us the Father, and it will be enough. If you'll show us the Father, it will be enough. And Jesus said, you know, corrects him by saying, uh, it's obviously not enough because if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am the, we are the same, exact same. But his statement was true, that if we ever really saw the Father, if we could see him for who he is, really see Jesus for who he is, I believe, hopefully you believe, and have experienced to some degree, that it will be enough. It will be enough to motivate us to serve. It will be enough to, to bring, to answer all the you know, questions of our life. He'll, he will be enough also to uh, fulfill that void that we all have on the inside of our lives that so many of us have been seeking to fill through one of two things, either uh, doing everything we can in life to make something of ourselves and to earn stuff for ourselves, so the things that money can buy and position can give us, status or whatever, or we have worked ourselves to death with this heavy burden uh, of works. We've tried to earn something, to be better than everybody else in the church and compare ourselves to others and judge everybody and find ourselves looking better than them. And and both of those things, nearly all of us in this room uh, can connect with both and say that we got to the end of those and there was nothing, there's no joy there. There's no contentment. There's no fulfillment. That void is still there. You know, if you're like me, man, I've I, I worked on the side of mo- most of my life, spent my, uh, my time dealing with being somebody as a minister and being better than everybody else, and that's what makes me a minister is I'm better than you. So rising up to get the degrees and position and status and getting to the point of, you know, being a national leader with the name and the position and the business card that I can hand out to people, and I found my identity in that, and I found that there was no joy in it. And thank God that that began my search after finishing two degrees at the seminary and and rising to a position Thank God that he was able to grab me in that place and make me realize that I was missing what I have now. I'm excited about what I have now. You? I'm excited about the the joy and the contentment that I found in Christ. I'm excited that I've been able to, have been able to discover him, find him. Will forgot his bottle. I'm going to smell that after service, too. Uh, I'm, I'm so thankful that I, I just make comments because that's where your attention is going to be anyway, right? So we just let him sit back down. Because it's very fascinating when somebody can get up and you can get to watch him walk. It's like you never seen anybody walk. Wow, look, he walked. It's amazing. Yeah. He was rude. Um, 
So, but all of us, uh, back to maybe to focus, um, but all of us have tried to find our, our identity and our joy and contentment in something besides Jesus. And, and I wish I could say that ministers are, are um, excluded from that, but the truth is that we're the worst at it. And I wouldn't have said that 20 years ago, but I'll tell you now that I was leading people to find their identity and their, their search for contentment, that, that it would end at some point when, you, when you're good enough, when you can just get enough goodness and be better than everybody else, and you can, you know, try not to look down on everybody, but know that I have to do that to make myself look good. It's just a, a terrible cycle and a horrible experience. And the tragedy of that is that, that it has affected us in such a way that the poison is still seeping its way into our lives and it still finds its way out. And, you know, like the song, uh, beautiful song, you know, Lori, that, who wrote this song, uh, Lopez, was, was just like I was. She was caught up in being somebody in music and, 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 and in the context of us all discovering God together wrote this song, and it's just a great, great expression of truth from her. God, I still struggle with these things. I still, you know, I still want to find my joy in something else. It's like Jesus is not enough, and I know that he is. And it's just a great expression of that. So, Father, do something in me. Be my joy. Be my joy. You know, we can cry out to God, be my joy. He will be. But then there's also some things we need to do uh, to, to try and join God in making that happen. And so what is it? I, I, you know, I think we all know what it's not. We've spent enough time in First and Second Timothy over the end of last year to discover what it's not. It's not in having a great theology and a sound doctrine. It's not in, in having a deep understanding intellectually of who God is. That's, that, this past week in one of the devotions I was reading, it says that that's just... That's the seed that fell among, uh, that fell on the path and got quick roots. And then, as soon as wind came of any kind—trials, problems, struggles, doctrine, whatever—blows that stuff away. If it's just mind deep, that's not going to last. So we're trying. We're asking God to get it heart deep in us. And Jesus said, or Paul said that 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 God works in us by his Holy Spirit, both to will and to act according to his good pleasure. And so we're asking God, how do, how do we will to do your, your will? How do, we, how do we allow you to, to become all that you want to become to us so that we find our joy in you, our contentment in you, and nothing can shake that. There's no winds that can come, whether there are problems that you face in life or expectations that you have for yourself and for this church or for your ministry or or for uh, you know, for you as a father, or as a husband, or or as a child, or as a student, there's no expectation that you have that can be blown away when that's not met. Because the one expectation that brings joy has been met. Now you've found Jesus for who He is. So it's it's a, it's a terrible indictment on the church that we have gotten to this place of finding our joy or our happiness, temporary happiness, in all these things. But it's a good thing that we've gotten to the point as a church. Most of you in this room have gotten to the place where you realize there's no joy in that and you're still 
Now you're asking God, be my joy, be my joy. I want my joy to come from you. I want you to be my motivation. You might answer, answer my questions, my, the end of my search. God, you be all these things to me. Jesus, be that for me. And we, we desperately want that from our hearts. It's also tragic that we live in a community where our pursuit of these other things has caused people who are not believers in this community to despise God. They despise Christianity. They hate the church. We are the bane of society. God, they, they don't want to look at us. They don't have anything to do with us. And I don't blame them, right? Y'all with me? I, I don't blame them for that because what we, what we are preaching and offering is empty and it's heavy and it's dead and it's, 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 it's offensive. It's offensive to me as a believer. I know it's offensive to those that don't believe. And, and that's what's happened. And so somehow this community has to see who God is because God is attractive and Jesus is worth having and he is the answer to the questions that they have. He is the 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 uh, completion of the life that they're trying to live. He is the the joy that they're looking for and the contentment that they're looking for. Y'all believe that? Say, oh yeah. All right, so there's that's that's sadness too. So we want to do something about that. We want to do something about that. Man, I can't tell you how tempted I've been in the past and have followed through with my temptations to start a year off with powerful sermons saying, I'm going to talk them into loving Jesus more this year. I'm going to make them feel guilty, and they're going to find themselves falling short, and they're going to start working harder and making their resolutions and getting their life in order and getting some action steps to get things fixed. And this year, as I tried to figure out what those steps would be, God said, there are no steps. We're going to simplify everything. We're going to do three things, three things that God's already told us to do that we have negated to do because we're so preoccupied with trying to make something else happen. We're going to abide in Christ. That is, we're going to ask God what it is he wants for our life, and we're going to obey whatever he tells us to do. And he's going to do his activity. That's going to free him up to to show us who he is in our lives. Jesus said, if you obey my commandments, we said last week, then I will reveal myself to you. And he will, and he has. And we're going to focus on that. So here's what I know to be true, and I've heard testimony already this week. You've had a, a tough time abiding this week, haven't you? Haven't you? Hadn't it been hard? Hadn't it been difficult to get focused, to stay, to, to dig in, to, to, spend, to get some time alone with God, to, to stay focused during the day, of, uh, to watch the Holy Spirit's promptings during the day, to guide the things that you do? It's been difficult this week, and it's not going to get easier because we have an enemy that hates what we're talking about. This is God's plan for us as a church. And if we start taking steps to, to, to join God in it, then Satan will take every step he can to defeat us today, this morning. Uh, worship leaders, pastor, we walk children's workers, we, uh, internet people. We walked in and everything was falling to pieces. Why is that? Because that's where our focus is. We were distracted. My heart started dropping because I saw stuff that couldn't get done, and I was getting irritated and frustrated, and I was feeling the frustration of others who were feeling frustrated. And we became a distraction to each other this morning. When this is one thing never changed, Jesus was present, 
He was himself. He was there to be experienced by us. He was there to take care of business, whether we have sound or PowerPoint presentations or music for the leaders to look at when they when they sing. But, you know, all that stuff, our message that's printed out so I can preach it. You know, all, all this stuff this morning makes no difference. That is not where our joy comes from. And yet we still came in this morning waiting for our joy to be found in those things. I, I, I got to be honest with you. I came in here this morning hoping that everybody would be here today because I feel better when everybody's here. That's an expectation that I, I'm setting myself up for disappointment because I know everybody's not going to be here. I mean, it's a miracle that some of you are here. <laughs> I'm just joking. It's not really. Y'all should have laughed at that. But he's like, is he talking about me? Yes. It doesn't matter. Not my joy. My joy is not found in that. So we've got to simplify things. And last week, what, what Philip said to Jesus was true. And we are guilty of the same thing. We've been saying, Jesus, if you will just... If you would just appear, if you just come in here one, just one Sunday and just show up in physical form and just tell us you're doing a good job, everything's fine, it's all good, show us Jesus. We're telling the Holy Spirit, show us Jesus and, we, and we, it will be enough. No, it won't. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit says the same thing that Jesus says. Have you been with me this long and you don't even know that I am Jesus? Jesus said the Father and he are one, but he also said the Holy Spirit and he are one. Jesus said, told them in the passage last week, now he is with you, Jesus in the flesh, but then he will be in you, Holy Spirit, Jesus in the Spirit, living in us, and we're still looking for something else. Give me another sign. Give me a something. When he's with us, he's in us, he's speaking to us, he's guiding us, he's leading us, and we're still looking for more. And so our work that we need to do today and the next following Sundays is this. We need to realize who lives in us. We're going to look at Jesus. We're going to look at his, his life and his ministry. I started in Matthew. I'm, I'm not covering the birth story because we covered that during Christmas, but we're going to start in chapter 3. I don't know where we're going or what story we'll do what week, but all we're doing is we're going to look at Jesus. Now, let me help us understand, and I'll, I'll keep, try to keep us clear as we go through it, because this has been hard for me. We are not studying, trying to discover words. We're not trying to discover doctrines. We're not even trying to discover what we're supposed to do. We just want to see if our hearts can grasp who Jesus is. Now, is that going to make a difference? I'm convinced it will. I'm convinced of simplicity of seeing Jesus for who he is beyond and, and above all of our other expectations and our other experiences and our other whatevers. If we will just look at Jesus for who he is and discover him, look at his characteristics. What do these stories reveal to us about God? Then, and realize that that spirit lives in us. Then hopefully, hopefully, guys, this will become our joy. It will be him. It will not be being a really cool church. It will not be planting another one. It will not be having a name for ourselves in this town. It will not be 
filling this place up with people. It won't be based on how many people are here, who shows up. It won't be based on life groups. It will be based on him and who he is. We need that. Would you all agree? All right. So let's work on it together. All right. Now, in order for that to happen, again, if this is the simple message that Christ has for us, then it's going to be the hardest thing for us to do because Satan wants to defeat it. So I'm going to ask you to be responsible for you to sit up in your spirit to, to really focus in on what God wants to say to you today about who he is. And, and I pray that as we look at three characteristics that, that are found in this story, through just three of the many characteristics that are found in this story, that you will find something that will transform your heart in a way that causes you to love God more. Because it causes you to embrace the spirit that lives inside of you in a, in a, in a, more, in a deeper way, in a more committed way. And that, that your life will reflect the truth about who Jesus is to a world who desperately, and a community who desperately needs to hear it. Y'all with me? Say, oh, yeah. All right, Matthew chapter 3 is our text, verses 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to, to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. All right, it's so. I just look at that and I think there's so many places I want to go. This and did go this week as I studied this text. Man, I wanted to dive in, get a doctrine of baptism down, get after it. Man, there's so much cool stuff about baptism that we are not going to talk about. <laughs> it's so hard for us, for me, as your pastor, to to get into a text and not want to get doctrinal and theological and. And not just look at the person in the story. But we're going to look at the person today. What did Jesus do? Why did he do it? What do we learn about Jesus as we look closely at this encounter that he has with John the Baptist? And what do we learn about Jesus as we look closely to this encounter that Jesus has with the followers of John who had gathered out there and saw this baptism? First of all, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. I could stop there. I could spend the rest of the time talking about that. Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. That's all we're going to focus on. I mean, we'll make some other points, but here we go. There was no question that Jesus was here on purpose. He didn't stop by on his way to a more important place. This was the Father's will. And Jesus lived his life in complete obedience to the the will of the Father. Listen, he lived in privacy for 30 years in Nazareth. But at this moment in time, this this day in his 30-year history, he becomes public. It was intentional. It was not an accident. It was time for his ministry to begin. 
not the season for it to begin, not the decade for it to begin, not the year. It was the time. It was the moment that Jesus' ministry would begin. Now, why? I think it's clear. It's because the Father commanded it. It's not so clear in this passage, but we know because we've studied John chapter 12 through 15, the abiding passages where Jesus says clearly in John chapter 5 also, where he says clearly, I do nothing on my own. I only do what I see the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. And because he loves me, he shows me what, I'm, what he's doing. That's the same experience that we have with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is for us what the Father was to Jesus. Is The Holy Spirit comes in and says to Jesus, now's the time for you to move forward and go do this. And so we need to learn this about Jesus and about the Holy Spirit. Is that there's an appointed time. Nothing happens without, by accident. There is nothing that God does that's by accident. Everything in God's will is being accomplished. He is, he is speaking it to his children. God is intentional. He's not accidental. The world is not just spinning around and there is no plan. God is working out his plan. And if we want to look at a beautiful characteristic of Christ and of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us, here's one to look at. He doesn't do things by accident. He didn't call you by accident. God's at work in the world, and he's accomplishing his plan. And nothing and nobody can hinder that plan. Now, what does that mean for us? We'll talk a little bit more about it later, but one thing that it means for us is that we need to connect with whatever God's doing. Whatever, whatever it is that God's doing in the world, it's going to be the thing that brings joy. It's going to be the thing that, that accomplishes his will on the earth. And we're so busy doing other things rather than connecting with him to find out what his will is. When Jesus said, I do nothing on my own. And when the appointed time came, Jesus did what the Father told him to do. And we need to at least learn that this morning. But we're going to talk about what that means about Jesus here in a minute as we close. Another thing I noticed, not only did Jesus come from Galilee to the Jordan, he came to John. And this statement signifies to me the personal touch of Jesus. He came to John. Now, what does that mean? I tried to get in John's life, just tried to jump into John's life this week. And I I came across a couple of things, but... Uh, that, that were significant. But John had, God had a plan for John's life. He spoke it through the prophet Zechariah at his birth. There was a plan that God had for John. It was a very specific plan. It was a call for John. John was going to be the one to prepare the way of the Lord. He was prophesied about in the Old Testament also that, he would be, that there would be someone who would prepare the way of the Lord. And Zechariah, at the birth of, of John, brought that out. Look at what he says in Luke chapter 1. By the way, Zechariah had been quiet until this moment because he laughed about the fact that his wife, who had been barren for so many years, could have a child when God said that she would. So when God speaks, don't laugh. Do what he says. Anyway, so when his mouth finally opens, that's beautiful what he says. I love the first words that come out of his mouth. It says this, his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying. 
Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of the servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from, from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance in Israel. I I love this. Zechariah surely told John what what was going to happen, who he was going to be. What his job was and, and what his calling was. That God had given him a word by the Holy Spirit, a very clear word of what his life was going to be about. From, from the moment he was born and they're dedicating this child to God, he says, this is what you're going to do and this is who you're going to be. He had a goal in his life. He had a call in his life. His call was to prepare the way of the Lord, to open up doors and get people's hearts ready to preach and to speak and to baptize in preparation for the coming of, the whole, of, of Jesus, the Messiah. What a great, great thing that Jesus shows up. He came to the Jordan River and he came to John. He came to John. He came to John to make all of his efforts in his life call, to, to make all of that worth it, to, to settle for all uh, in the hearts of people uh, who maybe had doubted uh, whether the Messiah would ever come and whether John's message was the message of a crazy man who lived out in the wilderness and ate weird stuff and dressed crazy, uh, that this crazy man, that his words were not true. Jesus came to verify the fact that what John said was true. I mean, I tried to get in John's skin, just think, God, all the things that you told me about ministry for me, all the stuff that you said that you've called me to do and the things that I've been reluctant to do because it didn't fit in with what everybody else was doing. And, it, and, it's, and it, I con- I'm constantly ridiculed, not only by people who are not believers, but by people who are believers because I'm, I'm determined to do things like what we're doing now, that all we're going to do is focus on Jesus and is that going to be enough? And I'm just waiting to hear what the voices are going to say, the religious voices are going to say about that. But, God, I've been faithful to this. We have done what you said. And I just love that I was able to draw from the, the message this week. And this story about Jesus is that the Holy Spirit is going to come in, and he's going to verify that everything that God told us to do is right. And people are going to see him, not us. People are going to see Jesus, not us. They're going to see that he's a God who completes what he starts. And if there's something that you're, you know that God's called you to do and you've been waiting and waiting, think of how long John waited while Jesus was right there. I mean, can you imagine? We'll read a passage in John in just a minute. We know that, that according to, to John, he didn't even know who Jesus was. He didn't know he was the Messiah. I mean, he knew him. 
they were cousins, but he, he didn't know he was the Messiah. I don't know how you missed that, except Jesus must have really lived in privacy. But, but John didn't even know who he was. God, when, when, how many, how many years am I going to be out here in the wilderness preaching and telling this story and baptizing people in, in the baptism of repentance and preparation for the coming Messiah, and he's not coming? And I imagine, that, you know, the first five or six years, that was cool. But, man, you get 10, 12, 20 years into this, and you start wondering, okay, God, when are you going to sh- show up? Are you, did I miss something? Did I eat too many locusts? <laughs> What's going on? And I know some of you are right there. You're wondering, God, when are you going to come through? Listen, I want you to know something of the character of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Listen carefully, church. Jesus is not going to tell you something and not fulfill it. Wait on him. Trust in him. Believe in him. Do not have expectations. Have expectancy. He's going to come through and he's going to fulfill what he says. When the Spirit speaks to you and you know that the Spirit has spoken, you hold on to those promises. I have numerous ones right now that I've thought through this past week. Uh, regarding my life and my ministry that I'm holding on to, and God just encouraged me this week that he is faithful and he will complete what he starts. This church is one of those things. I I can't tell you how much time I've spent thinking about, okay, what's going to happen when God calls me to go and start another church, and then what's going to happen to this congregation? And I think about, I start going through my, in my mind, every one of you, and I think, are they going to be okay? Are they going to be okay? Like God didn't start it. Like God's not going to finish it. And I get my mind totally off track. I'm not thinking about the fact that the Holy Spirit is doing his work and he starts and he finishes his work. I think about how much I'm doing and how much you depend on me in in my mind. How much you need me. It's crazy. Jesus is enough. He's enough because he is faithful. He's enough because he starts stuff and he finishes stuff. The Holy Spirit is the same as Jesus. He's in you. He's validating your ministry. Don't give up on the ministry that God's called you to do. Don't give up on the promises that God's given you. Jesus will reveal himself to you, and he will validate that ministry. If he called you to do it, he will validate it. Wait on him. Jesus didn't only validate the ministry of John. He also revealed himself to the world in this moment. In John chapter 1, verses 30 through 31, is John's account of this baptism. He says this in verse 30 and 31. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. He, He tells you what his purpose was. He understood that his purpose was that he would go baptizing with water in preparation for Christ, preaching the Messiah who would come, who, whose sandals he wouldn't even be worthy to, to untie. He says, that one is coming, and, and, and when he comes, he will reveal to you that he is the Messiah. And so Jesus shows up on the scene, not just to, to vindicate or, or verify that, that he is the Messiah and that what John's been preaching is true. And John have his moment basking in the glory of Christ and realizing, wow, 
God is faithful. Realizing it in such a way that John would never in the rest of his life ever be concerned about whether or not God is faithful to what he promises. And then the people also. Imagine Sunday after Sunday uh, for me, week after week, day after day for John, he's out there saying to people, Jesus, uh, the Messiah is coming, and he's going to reveal to you that he's the Messiah. Messiah is coming, and don't worry. He's going to reveal to you that he's Messiah. And then Jesus comes, and he doesn't seem to be revealing himself because he comes into the water to be baptized. Well, Messiah is perfect. He's flawless. He has no sin. And Jesus comes into the water with no sin, but he wants to be baptized, which signifies a death to sin and being risen to live a life of obedience to Christ and faith in him, or to the Messiah and faith in him. And Jesus says, you need to baptize me. And when he comes up out of the water, God completes his promise. A dove descends on Jesus, or the Holy Spirit descends like a dove. And a voice from heaven says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Now, question. If I were to preach to you over and over again that Jesus is real, that he's real, he's real, he's real, he's real, and then all of a sudden, one day I stop, and you hear a voice, and it thunders this room, and it says, Jesus is real. And you know it's not from the sound system, because you know what our sound system sounds like. It shakes you to your core. Or we're out baptizing, and a voice comes from heaven and, and speaks this, and you see the Spirit in some form descending like a dove, maybe looked like a dove, I don't know, but descends on Jesus and says, this is my son. Man, that shows the world. Right? Jesus was, came to reveal the truth to the world about who he was. He's not trying to hide himself from people who don't believe. Y'all with me? Jesus is not trying to hide himself. He's trying desperately to reveal himself. But our eyes have gotten so fixed on the wrong things. And, and, and the church, unfortunately, as we said at the beginning, has caused people to be more, more distracted than drawn to the person who, of who Christ is. They're distracted, and they're, they're looking at actions, and they're feeling judged, and they're offended, and they're hurt, and they, they don't want what we have to offer. But if we could just have Jesus verify himself, if we could just have Jesus come in and do what only Jesus could do, we can. Jesus still, by the Holy Spirit, wants to reveal himself to the world. That is not a characteristic that's exclusive to Jesus in this moment in history. It is a truth about who he is. Jesus reveals himself as Messiah to the world. Now, how does he do it? He does it in the same way that he did for John, in the same way that we've talked about over and over again. Jesus reveals himself to the world as he reveals himself through us. When the disciples had a word from Jesus to take the five loaves and two fishes and divide it up into 5,000 pieces, not counting women and children, and to pass it out, uh, we've probably had this little experience before, but they probably started off by tearing off a little bitty piece of a tail and saying, sorry, 
You've got a lot of people to feed. But before that was over with, they realized because they experienced it in their own hands, because they obeyed what Jesus said and they, they took the risk of ridiculing themselves and stepping out into the crowd and start giving food to people because Jesus said it, not because of any other reason, not because it was logical or reasonable or not because they thought that was going to solve the hunger. They did it because Jesus said it, because they obeyed. Not only did the disciples get to experience food multiplying in their own hands, but they also, the crowd also, ate until they were full. The crowd gets to see Jesus whenever we obey what he says. They're not going to see him when we just keep doing church the way we've always done church, and we're isolating ourselves, and we're, we're We're over here in our little building and in our small groups during the week, and we're huddled up, and we're hiding away from everybody. They're not going to see Jesus that way. They're going to see him when we get out in the front of them, and we say, yeah, I know that's a tough problem, but Jesus is big enough to handle it, and I'm just going to wait on him. And they go, you're crazy. They're going to do it when you're like my son-in-law and daughter who got married with no jobs. Everybody said, what are y'all going to do? He said, God's got a plan. And me and Mama were kind of asking that question, what are y'all going to do? But also knowing that God had a plan. And then watching God provide for them in just beautiful ways and over and over again, manifesting himself in their work, giving them great jobs and opportunities and taking care of them financially. He's big enough to do that. But the world needed to see that. They have lost friends who saw that. You know, we have a world sitting around us that says, oh, church, yeah, that's what you do on Sunday. You go and, and do it as creatively, more, as fun as possible. But they don't see Jesus as being real. And because the church doesn't see Jesus as real, the world doesn't see Jesus as real. And if we don't get out there and start putting Jesus on the spot, then the world's never going to see that Jesus is real. Uh, we need to be like David was. Uh, the whole army, the Israelite army goes to the Valley of Eli to fight the Philistines. And they set up in battle array, which means they all look like dudes ready to fight. And probably all night counting how many they're going to kill and bragging about the next day and what it was going to look like. And they stand up the next morning and Goliath walks out and, and shouts his defiance against the God of Israel. Says, if anybody will come out and fight me, if you beat me, we're done. We'll be your slaves. If I beat you, you'll be ours. And they focused on what? Goliath. Stayed focused on him. They never saw God. They just saw Goliath. And when we focus on those things, we get our eyes off of Christ. And David walks in, and I love this, a man after God's heart sees one thing, an uncircumcised Philistine who's shouting defiance against the God of Israel. And he says, today, this day, God is going to feed your carcass to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And all of Israel will know that there's a God in heaven. Everybody that's watching is going to know that there's a God in heaven because I'm going to throw a stone and God's going to direct it and kill you. Now, that's boldness. That's not trusting in his ability. That's boldness that that not only helps David to know God in a deeper way, it causes the Israelite army who stood still for 40 days and nights to start pursuing the Philistines and pursued them until they got them all. Listen, there is something to what we're talking about this morning. Our God is a God who's faithful to reveal himself to the world. He is going to do it through you if you'll just obey what he says. Elijah stands before the prophets of Baal and Asherah. Another great story. God sent him there to tell Israel to come to make a choice. And so he says, all right, 
And so he shows up on the scene, and he says to all of Israel, I'm sure he thought, man, I'm just going to preach it down right here. I'm going to lay it out, and those Israel's going to come and stand behind me, and then we're going to fight the gods of Asherah and Baal. And we're going to show them. And he says, all right, guys. And he preaches this powerful sermon. He says, now, those of you who are for God, come to me, and those of you uh, who are for Asherah and Baal, stay over there. And nobody came. He was by himself. And he realized something needs to happen. Church, the church plan isn't working. And so, God, what do I do? God tells him to give him a challenge. And I love this. He gave the challenge. says, you guys, do all you can. Find, see if you can find your contentment, your joy in your sacrificial system. But don't touch, don't burn the sacrifice. Because your God's big. He'll bring down fire. And he makes fun of them all day long. And they work hard. They cut themselves as their custom was. Trying to make their bail God do something. And he doesn't do anything because he isn't real. And so then Elijah stands up, and here's what he says. He says, God, well, first of all, he says, guys, go get water and pour it all over the sacrifice. And they're going, like, water? This guy's nuts? He's setting himself up. He already knows that God's fixing to bring down fire. Because God's fixing to show himself, and God's faithful to those that, that do his will. If you obey what he says, he's going to show himself to you and to the world around you. God didn't send his prophet over there to say something that wasn't going to happen. And so he says, fill them up with water. Fill the trenches with water. Water everywhere. Everything's soaking wet. And he says this to God. He says, God, I pray that you consume the sacrifice, that these people will know that there's a God in Israel. And God does it. You know why? (laughs) Because God wants to show himself to the world. God wants to show himself to the people that you think he will never see him. It's not your job to show him to them. It's, it's God's job, but you just need to do what God says. Some of you think that if I preach harder, they're going to come to God. And you didn't ask God about that, and so you're preaching harder, and they're running in the opposite direction. Wonder why. You didn't ask God. We need to obey what the Spirit tells us to do, and he will draw people to himself in the weirdest ways that you could ever imagine. It blows my mind to see how some of you have come to Christ and to see how some of your friends are coming to him because you're not following the methods that have been approved and have the stamp on them and are, you know, what the religious people are saying is good and acceptable. I'm at the point now where I don't even want to hear about methodologies anymore. Now, that might be bad. Honestly, it really might. I'm not sure that it's good. I'm praying through that. But I don't want to hear how you did something that drew a crowd of people to your church. I don't want to hear about that. What I want to see here is what I believe God wants for us is that each one of you is asking God, God, what do I do today? What do I do today that's going to bless somebody and ultimately bring them to you? It's going to reveal to them who you are. What can I do today? And then you just obey what God says. And just like David and just like Elijah and all the other great uh, men and women of, of the Old Testament and New Testament who follow what God said, people are drawn to Jesus and not to them. God, please do that in our congregation. But if he's going to do that, it's not the doing that's significant. It's us knowing that he's a God that does that. As we close today. 
notice we didn't even talk about the institution of baptism. I hope you notice that. Our goal is not to build a doctrine regarding baptism and its practice. We got one. You want to know about it? Come see me. We'll talk. Or I'll send you someplace where you can read it. We want to see the character of Jesus as he related to John and to the crowd. So what did we find out? Number one. Ready, church? Y'all ready? This is for us to absorb. Here we go. Number one. The Holy Spirit has a plan, and he will accomplish his plan at the proper time in your life and in this body. Write it down. Mark it down. Put it on your wall. This is truth about God. You want to fall in love with Jesus in a way that's going to transform your life? Y'all ready? Are you getting this deep in your heart? This truth can transform your life. This is who Jesus is. This is who the Holy Spirit is in your life. He has a plan that he is accomplishing in your life. You can't stop it. You can't hinder it. It's happening at exactly the pace that God intended for it to happen. Knowing who you are, he has a plan. And he's accomplishing that plan. And it will come to pass. So have patience. Wait on the Lord. Don't rush it. It may be 30 years that that plan hides in privacy in Nazareth. But one day, it's coming out. God is that kind of God. It's who he is. He has a plan, and he's accomplishing it. And you're not going to mess it up. You're not going to stop it. Your sin is not going to stop God's plan from being accomplished. It's going to be accomplished in your life. Accept that. That's who God is. His plans and his accomplishments are not based on us. They're based on him, and he is powerful enough and will accomplish his plan. Number two, the Holy Spirit will come to us at the right time to confirm his call in our lives with his exclusive activity, if we'll just wait and be faithful. Are you willing to look stupid? That's a good question to ask, and that's where you need to be. Are you willing to look stupid enough to say, I know that God is unfolding a plan, and I know that he's going to come at the right time, and he's going to verify that this is his plan. I have come kicking and streaming to the place that I am right now with that, but I'm so excited about that characteristic about Jesus. Listen, when the Holy Spirit speaks, he's going to accomplish his plan. I remember when we were Donahue Family Church, and we were desperately seeking God for, uh, uh, to get us out of debt. And God gave me a promise that he would get us out of debt. And I've got still on my computer, I've got multiple times where God spoke the same thing. He was going to get us out of debt, get us out of debt so we could be the church that God was calling us to be. That is, debt-free, spending our money in the community and, and, uh, and in the world, supporting missions and ministry. I remember when God told me that, and I, I was really cool with it, man. I was praying about it. I was feeling good about it. My heart was nice, you know, felt warm. I had a lot of warm, fuzzy moments with God. Until God told me to tell the church that. Because we were $3.8 million in debt, and our numbers had decreased from 1,200 to about four. And those weren't really happy. <laughs> and, and, and God told me to tell the church, and I thought, oh, God, you're going to have to say that again, too. And he did multiple times, and then I finally just said the words. I had no idea how God was going to do it, but I kept trying to figure out what he was going to do. I thought, you know, we had Cowboy Town at the time. I thought, well, we'll sell Cowboy Town, and when that sells, we're going to, I mean, there's lots of equity in that place. We'll make so much money, we'll pay off the buildings, and we'll stay over here in this big old place. Aren't y'all glad we're not in that big old place? Uh, you know, all the debt and stuff that was tied to that, and, 
and, and then God said no. And then Cowboy Town went back to its original owner. And there we were stuck with nothing other than one thing, what God said. And we spoke it. I'm, I'm going to look stupid, God, if you don't come through. Not that you care. You know, it's not about me looking stupid. And then God sends a church, calls me on the phone, says, hey, we'd like to buy your building. How about that? Yeah, how about that? And we'll give you one. All right. It's a small one, but we'll give it to you. And he does. And, man, we're just like, what just happened? And the world can see that and know that God is real. And then we tried to, we were thinking about duplicating this church or we weren't thinking about duplicating this church. We were thinking about growing it bigger and making a name for ourselves. How many times did that have to happen before I finally got the message? But we're trying to take the whole church and move them somewhere bigger and without going into debt or using our money for something else besides just us. And, man, I've got, I've got all, I had all kinds of ways in my mind I was trying to figure that stuff out. But God was working, and I didn't slow it down. God was, a, God was accomplishing his plan, and ultimately we couldn't move it together because God wanted us to start a new one. And as soon as I committed, the first church that I talked to about sharing their building, a guy from that church called me and said, or saw me at Harlow's and said, hey, man, y'all want a church? What? Like a building? I said, yeah, free. Yeah. He said, we got three members left, man. We're, we're moving out. And by the way, we're going to give you $10,000. That's in our budget. If I had told anybody that was going to happen, they would never have believed it. That we were going to get another building and $10,000 on top of that. Cash. All right? And we're sitting right now on another promise. This building right here, we got for a fraction of the cost of what it was worth. We haven't paid anything but just, a, well, we may have made our first payment. that actually paid some interest, I mean, some uh, principal on it. But we got a, a piece of property over here that God gave us that's for sale. It hadn't sold yet, but you know what? It's going to sell. Y'all with me? That's going to happen. You know why? Not because we can keep a sign up on it. Because <laughs> the wind keeps blowing those signs away. It's going to happen for one reason, which may be the reason why the sign won't stay up on it. God does what God says he's going to do. If God says he's going to pay this building off, then he's going to do it. And as soon as that property sells, in God's moment, it's going to happen. And, if, and we need to embrace that and wait on God and trust in his promise and realize it's who he is, that's going to sell and this is going to be bought and paid off. It's because it's who God is. God gives you something, he gives you a word, and then he comes back and he fulfills it. It's who God is. Y'all hear that? Do you trust that? That's who God is. God, the Holy Spirit is going to come to us at the right time and confirm what he's spoken. All right, number three, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will manifest himself through his activity, and we will know that it's him. All right? And we're going to celebrate it, just like I just celebrated a couple of little moments that we've had as a church. We've had so many more. God moments where God revealed himself because we obeyed what he said. You can do the same thing in your life because God wants to reveal himself to you. Jesus said it in John 15, 14, 21. He says, if you obey my commandments, the Father will love you and I will love you and reveal myself to you. He promises that and he will do it. That's who he is. Isn't that cool that God... The God of the universe wants to reveal himself to you in a way that's real and personal, that's, that you are experiencing him in your life. 
But also, number four, the Holy Spirit wants to manifest himself to the world around us. He wants to reveal himself to the world around us, and, and this is our call. We will never accomplish this call by inviting people to come sit in a building, even in your life groups. That's not going to happen that way. You know how it's going to happen? It's by the Holy Spirit telling you what to do and you obeying what he says and letting the Holy Spirit lead and guide and draw people. He is more than capable of doing that in the same way that Jesus did in this beautiful story of his baptism. So let's do that, church. We're going to make one more point on baptism next week and move into the temptations of Christ. But do you understand who Jesus is a little better today? Do you understand that? Have you embraced these things? Let's bow for a minute. and We're going to worship him for who he is this morning. But our goal this morning is to see Jesus, see the character of Jesus. And in this story, to recognize the Holy Spirit that lives in us is the same person. He has a plan that he will accomplish at the proper time. What do you need to say to God in relation to that? Are you being patient and waiting for the Holy Spirit's plan to be accomplished? He's going to confirm his call in your life with exclusive activity if you'll just be faithful and wait on him and obey him. What do you need to say to God in relation to that? God, show me your call in my life. I know it. I really, I've, maybe, I, maybe you've turned away from it for a while. But God, I, wanna, I want to continue to do what you've called me to do and wait for you to confirm and verify that you are working in me and in this activity. Maybe it's just being here, staying faithful to the church. And then let's, let's ask the Holy Spirit to manifest himself in us individually in your life and in the, in the world and in this body in a way that the world will see Jesus. He does that. We can count on that. The Holy Spirit manifests himself to the world. Father, reveal yourself to us. We're so thankful that you are a God who's personal in this way, that you're a God of personal touches, that you came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to fulfill the Father's plan. And, and, Lord, we are asking your Holy Spirit to come here to this place, to us, to each of us individually, that we might have our own stories of how you reveal yourself in our lives and then also to us corporately. God, we pray that you would sell that property down the road and that you would blow us away with what you do with that. Pay off this building. Do it in your time. We, we're not in a hurry. We'll wait. But Father, we love you, and we want, to, we want this world to see you. We want stories of God-exclusive activity in our lives. We want to be the Davids and Elijahs of our day in a community that desperately needs to know that you are more than religion has set you up to be, than we, Lord, have presented you to be. So manifest yourself in us. Lord, we worship you and praise you for who you are, Keep our focus 
on that as we continue this study. In Jesus' name.